Well, thank you, Pastor Larry, and thank you, Pearl, and the team for leading us in worship. And uh, good to see all of you, those of you who are on site and those of you who are online. Good that you're here with us. Well, I remember having the privilege of starting this sermon series called Supernatural Realm with you. Today is the 10th sermon, and I'm going to do a summary of all that. But I trust that in the nine sermons so far, that uh, what was previously unseen to you, it's a bit more clear to you now. Huh? And what you see cannot be unseen ever again. All right? So that's where we are. As uh, Pastor Larry said, this is, today is Palm Sunday, and uh, this begins in a Christian calendar, the Holy Week or the Passion Week. Because in a few days, the Lord would be encountering uh, the, the blackest day. We call it Good Friday, but it was the darkest day um, in, in the whole history of men. But then the good news on a Sunday. Amen? And so today, the, the passage that we want to anchor the sermon is, I think, no better passage than the one that we read now. Matthew chapter 21, verse 8 to 11. And it's the passage about Jesus being at this point in time, awaiting his last lap then into Jerusalem and going to the cross. Okay, verse 8 of Matthew 21. Uh, Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest And when he had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Jesus is going to be the pivot of all pivots. And in less than a week, he's going to turn creation right side up. But not in the way they imagined. So here was the uh, cheering crowd, right? Hosanna, Hosanna, and Palm Sunday. So, Pastor Larry, they say there were no, we don't have any more palms, but we still have palms, right? Two palms. Uh, I don't know whether they're doing high five. Uh, today, you know, we see Jesus, we will do high five or a fist bump. So, crowds cheering, very good atmosphere. But this same cheering crowd would be the jeering crowd, right? So, what was going on in Jesus' mind then? Was he like the student who prepared the whole year or the two years? entering the examination hall for his final exam. There is some sense of uh, trepidation and uh, nervousness. How am I going to do? Was it like that? You see, the journey ahead after this point was not going to be easy. That road into Jerusalem was filled with many things. It was not going to be an easy trip. And then later on, he'll be betrayed by his own disciples. That would not be an easy thing. After that, what happens? A very swift trial he would go through where justice was not even done. That would not have been easy. And then he would have to go through flogging. That would not have been easy. And then he would have to endure the taunts of the people. If you are the son of God, you know. And then finally, it would not have been easy when the nails were driven through his hands and his feet. So it would not have been an easy journey at all. Palm Sunday, but in five days, he will be crucified. And on top of that, he has something more that we didn't understand. He has the the weight of responsibility over the destinies of both the humankind as well as the spiritual beings on his shoulders. 
He has to do something uh, that will turn everything around, that will turn creation the right side up. So many things. But yet when you read Hebrews 12, right, the author of Hebrews 12, he said, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross and scorning and despising his shame. So we see that it was not going to be an easy journey, but how can the author of Hebrews say that for the joy set before him? So it must be that Jesus knows something that they did not know, right? It was going to be a hardship. Everybody understands that. But there was something that he knew that they did not know and it became joy for him. So today, the message title is The Foil. What is the foil? It's not the metallic tin foil. The foil is something that stops, disrupts, frustrates a plan, right? Towards the intended goal. You are the foil of something. So Jesus, in this sermon, you realize he's the ultimate, he's the perfect foil of the evil plans of who? The serpent, the sons of God, Satan. Yeah. What were they trying to do? Their evil plan was to damage the image of God that was in, on mankind and also stop the extension of Eden throughout the whole world. That was the evil plan. But Jesus proves to be the ultimate, the perfect foil of this plan. So our sermon's big idea is this, that God restores the Edenic vision through Christ. God restores the Edenic vision through Christ. So the first thing, it was the trap laid. That was a trap laid. But who was the one laying the trap and who was the one entrapped? Okay, yeah? So John chapter 10, verse 18. Jesus talking to his disciples. He said, no one takes it from me. What is the it? His life. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. The discharge I have received from my Father. From anyone looking at this, right? When Jesus went through and then he went on the cross, everybody would think that he would be that helpless victim of the conspiracies of all the people. That he was put up there, helpless. But when you see this verse, you realize that Jesus was not the helpless victim. I assure you not. He was the willing victim. Jesus said, I can lay it down. I have authority to do that. I can also take it up. So he was not led to the cross. He put himself on the cross. Why? He said, this charge I have received from the Father. It was the Father's will. Okay, so let's, let's go back in summary. Yeah. Sermons 1 and 3 told us that uh, God made everything. He's the only one that created, right? He made the heavens and the earth. He made us. And there was this host of uh, heavenly beings as well. And where were they? In Genesis chapter 2, it tells us that we were in the Garden of Eden. The first couple, uh, the divine council and Yahweh himself. But by Genesis chapter 3, you find that Adam and Eve were evicted. They were evicted from the Garden of Eden. So Garden of Eden, you know, they were driven out actually. So what was Christ's mission when he came? His mission was to reaffirm us, to place us back, to restore us on the pathway to this Edenic mandate. That was his, his goal. So when he came, he came as the last Adam to show us who, who we are supposed to be, to show us how we must live in a way that pleases God the Father. So he was the loyal son. And then everywhere he went, he exercised the authority that Adam and Eve would have as the images of God. So you see him healing, you see him controlling the winds and the waves, you see him even casting out demons, right, last week, and also raising people up from the dead. Such authority. 
But Jesus knew one thing about his mission. It would not be just complete uh, with him saving and reconciling us. Because as long as this evil spirits, right, this uh, uh, evil, uh, rebellious Elohim remain in power, humankind will always be at a disadvantage because they were always there to try to trip us up, try to stop uh, the image of God, try to stop Eden from, uh, be, from being extended through the world. And so the second thing about Jesus' mission was this. He has to disempower these rebellious spiritual beings. By, by what? By subverting their subversion. <laughs> so he was going a level below. Okay, so what was Christ's game plan? How did he do it? Recognize when you read the Bible, you may have missed this, but as we've heard the nine sermons, we've realized something, you know. The more that Jesus performed miracles, it was a, a tactic that he used, you know. The more he confronted the religious powers, the spiritual powers, the more they plotted and conspired against him, right? You see him going into the enemy territory. He's going into the territory, you know. And then he, like, pushing them in, right into the corner so they had nothing else but one last card to play. That last card was to dispose of him, was to destroy him, was to kill him, you know. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 29, uh, last week we heard about uh, this, this particular incident, but now it is in Matthew. Um, and behold, they cry out, who are these? The, the demons. They cry out to Jesus, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now these three words, before the time, they're very telling. Why, why, do, why do they say that? They knew that there was a time that they would no more prey on humankind. You know? And with the arrival of the Messiah, they knew their time would be shorter and shorter. So, see, are, you, are you coming for, for us now before our time? So they knew Jesus was going to be a, a threat. You know? And the more Jesus, Jesus went into uh, their territory, the more they realized their day of reckoning is at hand. So they had a plan to kill off you know, this Messiah as quickly as possible and kill him in a way that he would never survive, you know, never survive. And what was that? That was the crucifixion. You'll hear more about that in this coming Good Friday service, so we won't touch on the details. But you know, that death, the crucifixion, was a death uh, that nobody could feign. You cannot like, pretend you die because you really die. Like, make sure you know, they poke you and, and, and ensure that you, you never get resuscitated again. You know? So it was a death that was meant to kill with finality. You know? But you see, that was exactly what Jesus wanted them to do or to think they could achieve. Jesus said, I laid down my life on my own accord. Not because you pushed me there, I lay myself there. So they thought by getting rid of Jesus, everything would stop. Edenic plan would be finished. No, God would not be able to save the humankind. But boy, were they wrong. Because the more they went to it, they found that God was not derailed. It was working right on God's schedule, which leads us to the second thing. All right, the trap was laid. They didn't lay the trap for him. He laid the trap for them. Second thing, the master stroke unleashed. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 to 15, we've heard this um, last week as well. Very powerful verses, but I'm going to just point out one key thing about this set of verses to you. Verse 13, and you who were dead, talking about us, uh, in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, Christ, eh? having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with His legal demands. That was how it was done. Eh? This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. Verse 15, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. I want you to note, note, note this, that 
with one stroke, Jesus achieved simultaneously two things. First, our salvation, correct? He said, uh, we were dead, but we, God made, him, made us alive in Him. Then at the same time, He did another thing. He disarmed the rulers and He pronounced judgment on them. With one thing He did, what was the thing? Nailing it to the cross. By one act, this master stroke, He was able to address two issues. It's like that, that proverb, um, killing of two birds with one stone. You know that? Uh, it, it, maybe that's too, too violent. So they now have a, a nicer one. It's feeding of two birds with one scone. Yeah. <laughs> Less violent, but you lose that effect. So what happened is Jesus, with one stroke, he was able to turn everything right. Like that. You know. So when you read and when you meditate on what Jesus has done, you see that at every juncture of Christ's work, his, whether his life, his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection, his, his ascension, right? He accomplished these two things simultaneously. What? The salvation of humankind. Granting us eternal life. Secondly, he also did the judgment <clears throat> upon the cosmic rebels. Eternal life for us, but eternal punishment for them. So one stroke, he did two things. But you also must <coughs> excuse me, appreciate <coughs> the, the scale that he had to do it. Because when you read Genesis 3, 6, 11, you, you would have seen how sin increased. From Genesis 3, it was just a couple. It was between persons, yeah, at the level of persons. Genesis 6, it was the whole society was affected. The sons of God came. By Genesis 11, it was nations, you know. So at every point, we were progressively getting further, drifting further and further away from the Edenic vision, you know. Right? We're getting so far. And Christ has to handle all these things with one fell swoop, and which he did. So if you have not listened to sermons 4 to 9, and you need to, you want to hear the, the clarity and all that, I'm just going to give you a broad stroke of how Jesus handled this extent, right? The first one was the fall. Sermons 4 and 5. And what was the problem at the, sermons of four, uh, at the sermon 4 and 5? <clears throat> the fall... Um, rec- uh, Help us to understand the problem of humankind's death and separation from God. But what did Jesus do? Jesus came and by His resurrection became the cure for humankind's death. Right? But on the other hand, the eternal punishment, He came and pronounced to Satan, yeah, your end is coming. He overcame Satan's weak temptation. Now He couldn't tempt, them like he could, couldn't tempt him like He could with Adam and Eve. And Jesus overcame Satan's temptation where? In His own Turf, right? The flood, sermon six and seven, tells us about the depth and scale of human depravity and misery. How, from just two persons, it became progressively worse, and we came further and further away from the image God wanted us to have. And so Jesus came in the flesh, in the flesh, incarnated, to show us the perfect image of God. He was the perfect imager of God, the last Adam, to contrast the first Adam who failed. By doing this, he defied the sons of God, right? In Genesis 6, who mated with the daughters of men and produced the Nephilim. The the Nephilim is like the counterfeit children of God and also the counterfeit son of God. So Jesus came as, no, 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 you got it wrong. I am the son of God. And this is how it it looks. And Jesus' resurrection declared eternal life, not death as the final word. And by uh, res- being resurrected and ascending up, He sent us the Holy Spirit. 
to be with us and in us. In that sermon, we said, the only way to combat and to overcome uh, depravity is not from the outside, it's from the inside. So the Holy Spirit is with us, changing us from the inside. Now on the right column, what happened? Jesus went to Mount Hermon and stormed literally the gates of hell. And despite the resistance of Satan, who is the king of the underworld, the lord of the dead, and his minions, Jesus came and announced in no uncertain terms, I will build my church where? On this very rock of rebellion. You know, I'm going to do it. So Jesus signaled that their end was coming. Sermons 8 and 9, the field. The dispersion of the nations and their disinheriting by God. Right? So Jesus came and then he showed that he is not just Lord over Israel, which he is, but he is also the Lord of all the nations. Matthew 28 said, All authority has been given to me on earth and in heaven. Go. So Jesus came to tell every ruler, right? <clears throat> that every disobedient, every wayward ruler and said, this is the end, you know. I have come to disarm you and I have come to reclaim my rightful authority over everyone, over all the nations. So far from stopping the Messiah, actually killing the Messiah advanced what God wanted to do through Christ Jesus. That's the masterstroke. You must, you must really, um, you know, appreciate how powerful and how wise, how unsearchable actually the wisdom of God. By one stroke, He's able to tell us humankind, you are free now. And then He can say at one time, uh, the same time He can tell uh, the, the erring rebels, He said, checkmate. That's it. Your insurrection is fully cancelled by my resurrection. Okay, so now you can understand why Hebrews 12 said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Because he was not looking at what they were looking. He was not looking at defeat. He was looking at victory. You know? And what was he looking at? He was looking at the third thing, that the Edenic vision will be restored. And this is the joy that was set before him. No, no, he was not joyful because he was killed, you know. It was not joyful that he had to die and go, you know, to the prisons and then be... No, he was not. He was joyful for the fact that he could see the Edenic vision from Genesis chapter 2 to be restored. Genesis 1 and 2, restored and recovered. So in Revelation chapter 22, John was given a glimpse into how this would look like. Um, Revelation 22 verse 1, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life. When you read this, you remember Genesis, the tree of life. With its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Verse 3, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more, and they will need no light of Lamb or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And so from Genesis to Revelation, this is the story. Of course, from Genesis to Revelation, we kind of fast forward over 64 different books. But it tells us this, in Genesis, Eden was lost. But by the time you hit Revelation, the last chapter, you find Eden was restored in all its glory. Okay, um, spoiler alert. Uh, how many of you think 
that, uh, you know, our ultimate destiny, ultimate destination is heaven. Okay, because I said spoiler alert, so you're still brave to put up your hand. Okay. Okay. Uh, when, Abraham, when God promised Abraham, did God promise Abraham something, right? The promise, it's called the promise what? Promise air, promise space, promise what? Sea, promise what? Was the promised? Land, right? Promised land. So I, I hate to burst your air travel bubble. Uh, no, 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 our final destination is not up there, no? It's here. With the new heaven and earth. That's the epic finale, uh, to the epic story. And what is this? That Eden in the original mandate will be extended geographically through the whole earth by the reconstituted what? human and divine families of Yahweh. That's the goal of the kingdom of God. The new heaven and earth. What does it mean for us? Okay, this is the goal. The goal is always to reclaim the nations and to restore Eden on a global scale. And Eden is not there. Eden is here on earth. That's the mandate. So when Christ came, He already inaugurated this kingdom, which is going to be here, right? It's going to be on earth, but with heaven. When He inaugurated this, He made sure that the advance will be irreversible. There's no stopping of the kingdom. The kingdom will go. There's no stalling um, and there's no going back. How will the kingdom of God be extended with persons being reconciled to God one at a time? Okay? But how do you paint this picture of Eden? It's so difficult because we are here and Eden is there. The new heavens and earth. So, but we thank God that we do have a glimpse. We do have a foretaste of it. So, four things about this Edenic vision. First, it is already, but not yet. Okay? So, we do see glimpses of it, but every now and then, we'll see a glitch. Okay? You are asked to pray for people who are sick. Correct? And when you pray, praise God, they do get healed. Sometimes when you pray, they don't all get healed. You understand? It's because the kingdom is already, but not yet. Sometimes I pray against the rain, you know, I see the rain comes coming and it doesn't rain. Sometimes I pray against and then it pours, you know. So the wise thing to do is to bring an umbrella, you see? So. Why? Because everything is not there yet. It is still here. But you realize something. There will be the glorification of our bodies. So what, what happened? death won't happen. There'll be no more mortality. And everything that sin, you know, the effects of sin, whether it's decay, whether it's sickness, whether it's aging, whether it's death, all these things will be banished. No more vaccines. And no more MCs. We will have a perfect body. Hallelujah. And then, there's the globalization of Eden. Eden will not be just one place. It will be as far wide and as widespread as possible. No more tears. No more sorrow. No more suffering. There'll be wholeness. There'll be wellness. And there'll be world peace and harmony. How peaceful. Isaiah tells us that the wolf and the lamb will dwell together. And the lion will eat straw, become vegan. <laughs> And then the best illustration is when the baby will play near the pit of the cobra and the viper. Would you, would you allow your baby to play with a cobra or viper now or not? No, right? You won't. 
But by that time, the threat will not be the cobra, will be the baby eating the cobra. <laughs> no, that won't happen because harmony. So there'll be perfect harmony. Okay, second thing, there will be one big family. We will be one big family. How big is this family? It's not just the reconciliation of everybody, but it's also the marriage of heaven and earth. Okay? Israel will be restored. And the Jews and the Gentiles will be baptized into one body. But not only that, there will be this joint uh, heaven and earth, joint spiritual, joint divine and human families working together to steward creation. You know? So that would be wonderful. So there will be two things. First, the restoration, uh, restoration to sonship. No longer disinherited and no more racial discrimination, which we have been hearing of late, right? That people of color are discriminated upon. That's why we have the slogan, uh, Black Lives Matter. And I think we need a new one, Yellow Lives Matter. Because Asians, especially in the West now, they are also being discriminated upon. But in the new heavens and earth, in, in Eden, all lives matter. Because Eden will be populated by what? People from every race, right? Every tribe, every language, every ethnic group. Everybody who should be there will be there. And it's also the reunion between who? The human family and the divine. No, the divine family and the human family. Remember? What was the problem? The problem was jealousy. They were jealous that God created humankind to be His images. So there was jealousy, there was envy. But in the new heaven and earth, no more. We will be together, working together for the same cause. No more distancing, no more warring. We will be teamwork. Like who? The Avengers. <laughs> like Justice League, you know? Because we will work together for the glory of one and only God. Okay, third, free will images. We'll be images of God with free will. Sometimes we hear free will, we can get a bit nervous, but by then we'll be the restored human beings, right? In exactly the way before the fall. And we will be able to choose responsibly and we will be able to choose wisely. Why do we need to choose, right? Why do we need to have free will to choose? Because if God has given us the mandate to rule and to reign and to have dominion, then we must decide on what? Strategies, plans, what's the best course of action and how do you execute? All this requires us to make decisions, to make choices between what is bad and good, what is uh, better and what is best. You know? And then observing God's law, some of us would think, wow, still, you know, we could still sin. But observing God's law would not be because it's good and perfect or because we must obey. That time when we are there, we will observe God's law because we can. We can. That's the power of choice. We can choose to observe God's laws. Okay? Fourth, co-rulers with Christ. We will be co-ruling with Jesus Christ and the divine council and the whole heavenly host upon the earth and all its inhabitants. And we will rule, how? By following, uh, by imitating Jesus in his serving, in his shepherding kind of rulership. Not like the rulers of this world. Jesus said, lording over the dictatorial kind, the bullying kind, the oppressive kind. Uh, we, will not, we will not rule like that. We will rule like Jesus Christ. Amen. So that means there'll be judgment on the cosmic rebels and those who sympathize with their cause. Right? We, will not, we will no longer um, 
be under their oppressive rule by being ruled by their deception or by their alliance or by their threat or by their force. No longer. We will rule righteously. And those of us who have been under this kind of uh, unrighteous rule, we will be vindicated then. Amen? And what is good? There will be a fulfillment of work. Huh? Still got work, man? <laughs> yes. Even because we think, you know, by the time I get to heaven, you'll be playing the harp. Yeah, you may be playing the harp, but on earth, not, not there. Heaven will come down. So there will be fulfillment of work. Why is there fulfillment of work? Because today, most of us will look at work as labor, toil, frustration, sweat, uh, blood, uh, blood, sweat, tears. Why? Because then we will be doing a work that we are fitted for. Right? Fits our giftings, fit our personality. And when we do something that fits our, our gifting and personality, we will do it with joy, right? It'll be fun. If you can imagine that, huh? it'll be fun. And if you do something with fun and joy, you will do it with excellence. Okay? So in heaven, on earth, the new Eden, there'll be no unemployment. Except maybe for the undertakers. <laughs> So those undertakers today need to look for another uh, job uh, in the new heavens and earth. Amen. And then no ECB. Uh, <clears throat> we just voted them in. But we need them because we're not there yet. Already, but not yet. Okay, so you see from the Bible as to how the Bible concludes in Revelations. You see God's plan and God's heart was always this, to redeem humanity, to reclaim the nations and to revive Eden. Amen. Are you, aren't you glad? Yeah? Okay, uh, very good. Very glad. I got three spiritual implications. First, take every opportunity to preach the gospel. What a time this coming week, especially. You can always invite someone to the Good Friday, to the Resurrection Weekend services, online, on-site, to the Grace Groups, to the Alpha. So many programs for us to invite people. But what do we learn? What have we learned in this Supernatural series? Inviting is a very powerful first step, but it cannot be the only step because we are not warring against flesh and blood. There's a host of rebellious spiritual beings that are what, out to destroy people and out to disrupt our missional efforts. So we need to pray, not just invite, pray that when the persons come or person gets online, uh, their hearts will be opened by the Holy Spirit, that they will not be blocked and veiled, right? Blinded by the God of this world. That's what Paul tells us. So we need to intercede and we need to make supplications for them. But we can pray with confidence because we know we have the power in Jesus' name, right? To break every authority, to break every hole. Jesus has given us the authority in His name. But we need to do that. We need to take that step. We need to uh, pray. Okay, that's the first thing. Take every opportunity to preach the gospel. Second spiritual implication, don't waste this pandemic. Don't waste it, but advance God's kingdom. Genesis 11, Tower of Babel. You know what happened there? God wanted them to extend Eden all through right, the world. They didn't. They, they stayed in one spot. And they said, hey, if we stay in one spot huh, and we build this ziggurat to the Lord, we, it, will, it will make Him happy because we will reach out to Him. And then God said, that's not my plan. My plan is to revive Eden. You need to be dispersed and God dispersed them. Now in the New Testament, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said to, to the uh, apostles, He said, uh, when you will receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and what happens? You will be my witnesses where? 
from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. It's a very simple, straightforward command, right? But did you know that the early church didn't, didn't do that? Until Acts chapter 8, what happened? The martyrdom of Stephen, the first martyr in the early church. And because Stephen was martyred, then the church realized that their survival was threatened, you know. They needed to go out from Jerusalem. And then they obeyed the dispersion. That's how we, we get to hear the gospel because of that. So we shouldn't make the same mistake, right? We shouldn't make the same mistake of staying put, but it's time to go. And instead of uh, the COVID stalling us, actually the COVID has made us advance the kingdom. That's a cartoon going around the, circulating around the internet and it goes like this, conversation between Satan and God. Satan says, with COVID-19, I closed all your churches. God said, on the contrary, I just opened one in every home. Amen? And that's those of you online, your every home is Grace Assembly. Grace Assembly has more than just Tangling and Bukit Batok. Grace Assembly has an outreach, has a place where the gospel is shared in every home that our Gracians are in. Amen? Don't waste. Don't waste the pandemic. Use it to leverage on advancing the kingdom of God. Okay, third, the last implication. Run this race with endurance. Yeah, this series also reminds us that all of us, without exception, we are enrolled, engaged into this spiritual warfare. The prize of our admission was the blood of Jesus, and there are no observers, there are no opting out. We are all opting out. We are all in this race together. Uh, the race between us moving on with the kingdom of God and with all these other spiritual influences who are out to us to see us falter, to see us fail, to see us fall out of the race. How? By dragging us down, by weighing us down, by trying to derail us, by trying to discourage us, by trying to um, delay us in finishing our, uh, in reaching our finishing point. But there's too much at stake now because Jesus has done already everything for us. We should not just let go, but we should continue on in this race. In 2020, uh, as staff, we were encouraged to do two things. We were encouraged to participate in two virtual runs. Uh. And the one on the right is the one, that, the Straits Times, and it's really a virtual run because I, I didn't run. <laughs> virtual run, yeah. So, but me and Linda, we walked, you know, until we finished 17.5 km. And later on, we had the Rich Charity Run, which was just a walk in the park because that's all we did. We walked in the park many, many times, you know, just to fulfill that. So what was it all about? Why did we do that? Why did I do that? Why did me and my wife do that? Not to win, but to show that we, we must start and we must finish. Correct? Finishing is very important. And we know that as staff, many of us went through things that we have never gone through before in our lives. You know, trying to come to terms with the situation. And so it was us trying to tell each other, look, yeah, it's difficult. I know it's stressful. But together, we can do it. Together, we can do it. If I can do it, you can, you can do it. And that was the message we wanted to give each other. Yeah, running the race, sometimes when you have to run on your own, is difficult. When people cheering, is good. When people cheering, is no good, right? It's easy to be discouraged and get off course. But we, we help one another. Look, I know it's difficult, but let's do it together. Amen? Okay, I'm going to give you a last verse, closing verse. Second Peter 3, 13 and 14. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. How wonderful. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for this, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish 
and at peace. All right, right now, we are looking at the Edenic vision coming, right? There are two kinds of people and two kinds of waiting. One kind is called the waiting of fear. For those who are rogue, for those who are rebellious, right? For those who are aligning themselves with um, the evil one, they are waiting in fear for judgment, right? God will judge. But those of us who are in Christ, we are waiting with faith, in faith, because we will get our full reward, our full redemption as the images of God. So my question to you is, what are you, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? The time is right, the time is now. Let's continue in our journey of faith. Let's continue to walk this walk. Let's continue to fight this fight. Amen? <laughs> okay. All right, why don't we stand and pray? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Father, we want to thank you, first of all, for giving your Son to us. Right? You know that, Lord God, we would never have been able to do what we can do today without your help. That Jesus, in one master stroke, He was able to correct all that was wrong with creation. Not just among us, the visible beings, but even in the realm of the invisible, invisible beings, not just by that master stroke, God, you pronounce eternal judgment on them, but you pronounce eternal life on us. So Father, we thank you that some things we don't understand fully, but we know that Jesus, you are almighty God. You did what no one else could ever do. You did what even the spirits did not imagine. But with that stroke, by dying on that cross, painful though it was, tough though it was, it was necessary for you to save us and to restore the, the Edenic vision among us. And Lord, today, even as we close this time, Father, I pray for those among us who may seem to feel that their hope is being drained out and they're losing hope. My word to my brother or my sister, remember your destiny. It is not here. It is not now. Things do not work perfectly in here. There'll be glitches. But that's not your hope. This life is not your hope. Remember, you've got a destiny to be restored, full resumption as, the God, as God's image. Amen. That's our blessed hope. Paul says, the blessed hope by which we are being saved. So don't lose that hope. Also understand that we do have an enemy who's trying to what? Dissuade us, trying to discourage us, trying to cause us to lose our focus. But the Bible said that greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. And so together we will not allow the enemy to spread the lies. Together, we will not allow the enemy to continue to deceive us. We have a destiny and it is in Jesus Christ, secure and safe. He is our rock. We will never be moved. Father, I just commit ourselves to you, Father. Thank you for this coming week, uh, coming Friday and Sunday. Once again, we will all commemorate not just Good Friday, but the powerful resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are waiting because of that, not just for the first coming, but for your second coming. Help us, God, grip our lives with this hope. Help us never to falter, to fail, and fall into the trap of the enemy. Help us to support each other, encourage one another to fight this good fight, to keep our faith, and to finish our race. For our Lord Jesus Christ, for we pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord...
our appreciation. God bless.